Hello, welcome to the Healing Out Loud podcast with me, your host, Jackie Shea. I believe that if you want to overcome obstacles and thrive in life, then fierce self-advocacy and hopeful connection through shared experience are necessary ingredients. Healing Out Loud is designed to bring you just that, inspiring, relatable voices that have made it through their darkest days to ultimate triumph by advocating for themselves and engaging with empowering self-care tools. I want you to start thriving today. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, there are three ways you can stay in touch with me. Follow me on Instagram at Jackie. Join my newsletter at JackieShay.com or contact me directly through JackieShay.com and I will see how I can meet you, you and your specific needs as a coach. Um, today, I am speaking with Eldra Jackson III about his journey in and out of the prison system and the healing foundation that saved him and now saves others, the Inside Circle. Aldra served 24 years of a life sentence. The last eight were spent sitting with Inside Circle, eventually leading to his release from New Folsom Prison in 2014. A living example of successful rehabilitation and re-entry, Eldra has dedicated his free time on the outside to serving at-risk youth and acting as a facilitator, trainer, and mentor. He is a writer and sought-after public speaker on the topics of at-risk youth advocacy, effective criminal justice rehabilitation, and turning around toxic masculinity. He also hosts the Inside Circle podcast. A note before we jump in with Eldra about the Inside Circle, um, if it's a foundation that exists to reduce recidivism and all forms of violence, physical, emotional, and psychological in our prisons and communities. Inside Circle is a healing community based on respect for the humanity of each member. Using the power of human connection found in peer-guided healing circles, Inside Circle transforms lives, reduces violence inside and outside adult and juvenile prisons, lowering recidivism rates, and building social-emotional literacy. They operate regularly within and around California State Prison Sacramento, which is New Folsom, Sierra Conservation Center, and New Jersey's Juvenile Medium Security Facility. Inside Circle creates a healing space for those impacted by the system to help heal themselves and lead change within the communities they know best. And a few empowering stats that after sitting in group with Inside Circle for an average of three years, members show shifts in resilience, empathy, self-regulation, and perspective taking. For participants, there's an 80% decline in the number of rule violations. In California, that's the 115 rule violations. 70% of participants dropped one to three security levels. 44% of the men who were serving and went through the program are no longer in prison, but instead serving their communities and contributing to society. And 0% of release participants returned to prison within three years of release. For more on the Inside Circle, I highly suggest watching the work documentary available on Amazon. Hey, Eldra. Hello, Jackie. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good today. How are you today? I am well. I am well. I'm just enjoying life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, um, I am interested in, in 
how each day feels to you. Do you still, in 2014, you were released, so it's been seven years. And are, are you still waking up every morning with the with that, with that excitement of like, I'm free. I can turn doorknobs and walk out of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. There, there still is a level of excitement, uh, associated with my freedom. And, uh, as, as you were sitting there speaking, what was also coming up for me is, is there's a level of, of, of desperation as well. There's 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 a feeling of, of of desperation and and must do, you know, for for the folks who are still inside struggling to come back out here. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Um, I want to I, I, we don't need to get stuck here because we know that the healing isn't necessarily in the story always. But what what is your story and what are the life circumstances that led you to getting a life sentence in prison. We know that, and you talk about this on your own podcast, that prison isn't something, although actually sometimes it is, but usually it's not something that just happens, right? There are life circumstances that lead up to that moment. Um, I always say, you know, when when someone is acting strange, something strange happened to them. So, um, what, what is your backstory? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I like that. When someone is acting strange, something strange happened to them. That kind of resonates with what we say at Inside Circle, uh, uh, hurt people, hurt people. And, and, and in my case in particular, my particular hurt was, uh, 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 abuse, you know, at the hands of, uh, a couple of babysitters very early in my childhood. And as an effect of that, the fallout led me to have certain thoughts about myself and others and what power looked like and what relationships looked like. And and it, it, it played out in my teenage years. And I wound up uh, going out into the streets. And when I say going out into the streets, I mean, uh, leaving the safety and comfort of a two-parent household and uh, looking for quote unquote respect in the streets in, in the form of uh, gang banging and drug dealing. And long story short, you know, a, a career of, of crime as a juvenile and young adult led to me ending up in prison at the age of 19, sentenced to life plus 17 years. Wow. So you were 19 when you got that sentence. Yep. What was going through your mind? What was, what was happening for you when you, with that moment? Hmm. What was going through my mind was, uh, this is my life now. And so I need to figure out a way, you know, once again, with the, with the same stinking thinking, I need to figure out a way to rise to the top. I need to figure out a way to be uh, the best convict that I can be. 
So I went what? into it. I went into it, continuing to do the things inside that I, I, I did in the community that got me sent to prison. I wasn't one of those cats that when the gavel came down and the judge said, you're sentenced to life. I was like, oh my God, I got to go to church and turn my life over to Jesus and, and, and rehabilitate myself. No, I went off into, I got to get deeper off into the game. This is where I'm going to be. I'm swimming with the shark. So I got to figure out how to, if not be the biggest shark, how not to get uh, be viewed as dangerous enough to not be bothered by and prickled by the rest of the sharks. Mm-hmm. There's a, I think this is in the book, Waiting for an Echo by uh, Christine Montrose. It's all about, um, it's really about uh, how the mental illness population is, is mostly is in prison. And, um, but in it, she talks about that mentality that you have to decide before going to prison, whether or not you're going to be, um, like eat or get eaten Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that you decide which one you're going to be. It was, is that accurate? I I don't know if that works for everyone, but that was definitely my frame of mind. And, 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 and based on, you know, my experience in life leading up to that point and the decisions and choices I had made leading up to that point, I was definitely not going to get eaten. I was going to do some eating. If there was going to be some eating, I was, I was not going to be victimized. I, 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 that was just not in the cards for me. So I went into it with the frame of mind, you know, don't just get a knife, get the biggest knife that you can, you know, uh, find if there's a situation, if there's an episode, you know, you hear about it and see it, you know, on movies and TV, you know, hit the biggest dude in the crowd. That was the mentality, you know, I'm going to fuck somebody up and I'm going to fuck somebody up real good. Not because I'm a badass, but because inside I'm scared shitless and I can't let you see that. And so hopefully if I really fuck somebody up good, I don't have to fuck anybody else up after that because everybody else is going to be like, leave him alone. That was the mentality. That was what was really going on inside of me. Right. You said something really important. You said, I'm scared shitless and I can't let you see that. Where did that come from, Eldra? Hmm. This idea that I can't let people see that I'm scared. Well, for me, it came from uh, deciding that emotions were a vulnerability, that emotions were a weakness, and 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 showing and caring and having any sort of uh, uh, emotional response or triggers meant that. I could be manipulated, meant that I could be victimized. It meant that someone could use that to their advantage. So I learned early on in life that emotions were very dangerous and something to be locked away and stowed away and never to be shared. Wow. Did you learn that in your home beyond what was happening with the with the babysitters and or uh, well, on the streets? Uh, I, I could say that I also, you know, that's where it was born for me, but I, I, I picked it up, you know, in, in sports, uh, you know, I picked it up in, 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 in messages that I received, uh, hell, even in the Boy Scouts, you know, about uh, uh, sucking it up, you know, and rubbing some dirt on it and just moving forward and trooping forward. There's a certain mentality, you know, when, when I was growing up that, you know, boys just didn't cry. 
boys didn't show emotion other than rage. I don't even remember, you know, boys being encouraged to express joy mm. much. I, I can't remember that. I don't know that it's for certain, but I, you know, as I think back and try to, you know, call my, my memory banks, I can't remember that, but I can definitely remember aggression and anger and rage being used for positive effect in sports, wow. you know, for a competitive edge. Wow. So is this, is this where toxic masculinity comes in? For me, I would say it it was that experience for me. And when I speak about this, I always like to be very careful about speaking about my experience because I don't want, you know, other folks to feel like their manhood or their masculinity or their maleness is being attacked. I can definitely speak from my perspective as I look back and 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 how I view you know, uh, uh, what we call today toxic masculinity, that is one of the inroads for me, yes. Right. Well, and you speak a lot about toxic masculinity in your work. So this mm -hmm. is something that that is obviously, I can imagine I was raised in toxic masculinity. Um, and I know that one of the reasons one of my family members is in prison is has a lot to do with with these ideas that you're talking about no mm -hmm. feelings anger and aggression welcome um so i definitely want to get more into that so tell me before we go there eldra i think that there's a blind eye and i don't know if you feel this way but i think that there's a a, a turning away from the prison population mm -hmm. from the incarcerated and i think that after one of my family members was was in incarcerated, I learned things and now know things that I wish I could unlearn and unknow. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is the kind of thing that when you turn towards it and you learn the only response is to get angry and to want to actually do something about it. I, mm -hmm. for me, certainly. So I think that there is a real lack of education around what actually goes on in in prison so i'm wondering what do you what is it really like and what what do people what do, what is the general population what do we need to what do we need to understand that we don't understand i would say the most important thing that we as people the quote unquote general population need to understand about those who are incarcerated at that is that they are human beings Yes, they may have uh, committed acts that are outside the norms that we as a society have set and, and, and standards that we tend to encourage us all to abide by. And they're also human beings. Uh, I think that uh, we as, as, as a society, when we think about those who are incarcerated, we should at least think about them in the same way that we think about a dog that the SPCA has in a kennel at a shelter and the way that we want them treated. Well, at least, at the very least. At, I at mean, the, we're talking. At the very least, at the very least. Yeah. If we could think about people who are encaged the same way that we think about animals that are encaged and the outrage that we feel when they, and they being the animals don't receive the treatment 
that we feel that they ought to or that they are 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 due i think that we should at least you know uh feel the same way about humans who are in cages that really 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 touches touches me because i think that i wonder if there's like anger at almost the dissonance or the the experience of being someone who's been in prison and watching so many people be outraged by animal mistreatment because it's such a big thing, right? Like we hate to see animals mistreated. And I can only imagine that being a person who's been in prison for 24 years, I think you said, treated less than human, worse than animals are being treated so much of the time. The, the, I don't know if it brings anger up in you. It brings anger up in me in this moment to be like, you know, how can we have this reaction to like save the dogs in the shelters and turning away from the millions of people who are incarcerated and being treated like slaves and, mm -hmm. and worse, worse than animals are being treated. There's something I learned that is just like um, devastating. So get ready, everyone, that the, that there's grades of meat that are allowed for, you know, fast food has a grade they allow and then dog food has a grade they allow. And I think there's like F grade beef or, or D grade beef. I don't know. And it's, it's lower than what they allow for dog food, but they allow it in prison. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, they, I can remember plenty of times, you know, throughout my uh, career as, as, as a, a resident of, of penal colonies, uh, we refer to uh, a lot of the meals as having mystery meat in it oh. because it is of a consistency that no one really recognizes. It doesn't, this doesn't look like the hamburgers that my mom used to cook. This doesn't look like the tuna that I grew up on, that sort of thing. And, and I remember because we, you know, had access to televisions and news in there and, and they, you know, would have big things going on with uh, the bird flu and swine flu and, and, and huge beef recalls, you know, and you could, you would just see, I can just remember seeing uh, supermarket shelves, no beef on the shelves, you know, on the six o'clock news, on the 11 o'clock news. And, and we would have hamburger, hamburger helper, it, it, all it damn near every meal for a month would have beef in it. Wow. While we were watching the news about not eating anything related to this because of mad cow disease and watching them putting cows down all across the world. But all of a sudden, you know, something that's a huge delicacy in prison, hamburger meat, ground beef, you know, we've got it for a month now. Wow. Wow. It's really upsetting really upsetting. Yeah. And I mean, I think too, people don't understand that those phone calls you make that you pay for those phone calls, you know, the nose that you pay for those phone calls and you don't, it's not like you get that long, but you're paying for them. Um, that you're working in prison for the next to no money to pay for communicating with the outside, you know, um, and let's be clear about that. Depending on where you're at, 
you know, in, in state facilities, when you talk about you are paying for those, we're talking about family members paying for that. We're talking about, you know, if I call my mother, if I call my wife, I call my brother or somebody, they have to have a global Telink account set up to be able to receive those telephone calls. They're being charged exorbitant amounts. You know, when I first went in, it was damn near $20 for a 15 minute telephone call. Locally. Whoa. Whoa. That's not and, long and distance. That's locally. Right, right. No, I know. And the, and the, the the um the person incarcerated can't pay for them no oh okay i didn't even realize that yeah because you have to have a a credit card you have to have a bank account you have to have some sort some means of paying you have to have some means of communicating with the company to pay for this as a a prisoner you you don't have those privileges right and we just went through covid where there was no visitation there was no visitation for a year plus, right? And the only thing available were phone calls and and people were in financial struggle more than ever before. Mm-hmm. So there are things like that. Um, I mean, the list the list goes on and on and on. And I think, you know, this this idea of like, there's a huge part of the human American human population that is in one of the most traumatic circumstances possible, possibly available mm-hmm. every single day. And I personally think that there's not enough attention going to it. Mm-hmm. I, I really, I'm one of these empathic people that just thinks about, I, I've, for years I've thought, where do I want my money and time to go in terms of service, right? There's the foster population, right? There's the mental illness population. There's addiction, which is near and dear to my heart. Um, there's racism. And when I think about, well, and, and then there's just, I mean, all of those things really just add up to trauma, and then when I think about when that when all of those places trickle down to the worst possible results, they all trickle down to prison. Mm-hmm. Homelessness, mm-hmm. homelessness, mental illness, foster population, addiction, racism, worst case scenario, and way too common prison. Mm-hmm. So I think we're not we're not paying enough enough attention personally. Um so one of the one of the stats is that and I think this is from the Inside Circle website is that the state of California spends $81,203 per incarcerated individual per year and they spend less than 1% of that on programs that heal the trauma mm-hmm. driving criminal action and behavior. Mm-hmm. Oh, what do you what do you make of that? <laughs> Well, what I make of that is, uh, you know, I'll give you another uh, another stat. Over 85% of those who are incarcerated will be returning to the community. Not everybody gets life. Not everybody gets the death penalty. Most people have what is, what is uh, called a determinate sentence, which means they have a set time in which they will be released. And, and, and what I make of that is, you know, collectively, who do we want released back into the community? Do we want people who have been healed, who have had the opportunity to receive some sort of uh, care or attention or programming that tends to their 
what the system calls uh, motivating factors. Right. Causative factors. What are the causative factors in my life that led up to me committing the acts for which I was committed to prison for? Do we want individuals dealing with those things before their return to the community? Or do we want people to be poked and prodded and mistreated and abused and turned into, I'll go back to the animal analogy, mad dogs and then released back into the community. Who yeah, they get worse. Of, who are full of hate and anger and rage and 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 who knows what else because of you know how they've been treated. Right. We're returning people, we're returning people worse than they mm-hmm. were when they went to prison because now there is the trauma of life in prison, which I truly, I hate the words I can't imagine because it's like, we'll try to imagine it, but I, I, I don't know what that's like. And then there's solitary confinement, which is, which can make a person truly completely mad. Um, so I, I think that such a, such a, a good, such a good point. Um, and before we get to the inside circle and you're, you're finding that I want to bring up that I read that there's a strict, um, racial segregation in California prisons. It actually, I think it tried to, they officially ended in 2014, which is the year you were released, but I think it still holds by practice. Like there, yes. Right. It still holds by practice. It still holds by practice. So there's, I didn't know this. So there's this racial segregation in California prisons. So what that means is you can be in the same cell block with people of different races, but you will never have a cellmate or cellmates that are different races. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. So I know that the inside circle was actually founded after a race riot Mm-hmm. by Pat Nolan and the race riot in the yard led to um, months long lockdown, which mm-hmm. means you're staying in your cell. I don't know, 23 hours a day or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. You're, and, and so what is, what is happening with race in California prisons? And what was your experience of this? Did you, did you go in um, with hate for other races? Did you do you feel like there needs to be this segregation? Are there gangs? What's happening? Mm, I, yeah, I didn't go in with hate for other races. I was, you know, I come from. I was a military brat. I got the opportunity. My father served in the U.S. Army. I got the opportunity before my incarceration uh, to travel the world and 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 experience different cultures and different people and and racism, you know, and hate period was not something that was uh, uh, taught my household. It for me was a learned behavior and it was learned uh, for survival. You know, there are certain people who hate you just because of who you are, just because of what you look like, just because of how you were born. And if you don't recognize this and don't carry the same, at least equal level of venom inside of you for them, they're going to catch you slipping and kill you. You mean in prison? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. And 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 prison is a very extremely and I'm speaking about California is an extremely segregated and 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 racist place. And it is something that is propagated oftentimes by the system itself because if you have 
let's say a thousand individuals on a yard and they're all most of them are doing life or doing you know hundreds and hundreds of years and they're all talking to one another and they're all educating one another and they're all trying to figure out what the problem is and figure out who the enemy is and they figure out that they all have something in common who are they going to look at wow wow so just thinking about it from a perspective of maintaining control maintaining power not having the equal numbers person to person to be able to maintain something how, how do you control that without having to expend a tremendous amount of physical energy oh wow Eldra, that's so upsetting <laughs> and so real it's so upsetting that yet again it's a it's all this um strategy mm-hmm. it's all yeah. this strategy to keep to keep the incarcerated sick mm-hmm. and There's, and there, there is a strategy to it there is a strategy to it and you know i i i want to be fair and 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 say that prison is simply a a, a microcosm of our society Because we like to think that as a society, we've outgrown these things and these things are not an issue. But as a society, we're segregated. Yes. As a society, you know, out here in this quote unquote free world with with, you know, so-called civilized people, we segregate ourselves. We have uh, uh, prejudices. We have things that we believe. We have uh, ways that we were raised. We feel more comfortable you know, sticking with our own and our own usually means somebody who looks like me, thinks like me, believes in the things that I believe in, uh, trusts the things that I trust and fears the things that I fear. We yeah. have a commonality. And That's we a miss thing. out. That's not a prison thing. Right, right, right. In prison, it's just um, the consequences are, 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 are more severe. I suppose. Well, they're not. I mean, they are and they aren't. Right. But I remember when when Black Lives Matter, you know, after George Floyd's death last year, I, you know, started educating myself more and more. And one of the things that really struck me was um, this idea that, you know, I miss out Mm -hmm. by by having all this segregation by living in a such a white neighborhood, which I do. I'm the one missing out, right? Like we miss out when we're not together, when we're not learning from each other. And um, and I think the way, what I think about with prison is like, if I never found the inside circle and if I hadn't met Rick, who's another facilitator at the inside circle, I sit in circle with him. He leads the circle and that circle and he has changed me in such positive ways. And he was doing life in prison and, and, um, and he got out and I'm sitting with you and I'm having this deep conversation and I'm thinking about how we miss out as in our communities when we don't get to experience the incarcerated rehabilitated, you know, or, or, or transformed and healing 
the wisdom I have gotten from Rick and from you and from the inside circle in general is more than I have received in my 15 years of self-help, you know, things leading up to it. I'm not, I'm serious. Yeah. I've read the book. I've it. had the therapy. I believe it. I've done the trauma <laughs> therapy and it's all amazing, but this, this has been different. And I would be missing mm -hmm. out. And and I and I look around at the people who aren't involved in the inside circle and haven't watched the work and don't know you and don't know Rick and don't know the facilitators. I think you guys are missing out. You don't know. You know, so when we take this racial segregation into the inside circle at the top of the documentary, the work, there is something said when you get to circle about leaving race outside, right? And Pat Nolan, the founder of the Inside Circle, he was doing time. He was part of this race riot happened. He was inspired to create a space where at least the race could stay outside. That was the beginning. Correct? Is that correct? Yes. That is correct. That is okay. correct. So, so, so can you talk about, um, because then it transformed massively. And by the time you found it, what year did you find it? 2004. 2004. And it was started, I think, in 1997. Um, so can you talk about your journey finding Inside Circle and the, the willingness to go sit? Mm, yeah. So... <clears throat> I, I landed at uh, at New Folsom in 2000 after getting uh, a release from the shoe from Corcoran. They sent me to New Folsom from Corcoran and and they, you know, there was a group that was referred to on the yard, you know, by uh, uh, COs and, and, and other convicts as Hug a Thug. And 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 that was a men's group that was inside circle. And, you know, there were rumors about, you know, what goes on, all them dudes being there praying the candles and they be singing <laughs> Kumbaya and hugging, you know, and all sorts of crap like that. And it was, you know, ha ha, funny, funny, har har. And, and I was there for a few years and I was engaged in some other activities. And I got to know quite a few of the men who were sitting in those circles from other activities that I was engaged in and the sorts of conversations that we were having you know, had depth to them. They had substance to them. It wasn't about, you know, who had what on the yard, what was going on, what happened last year, what happened up in Pelican Bay, uh, who's got dope, you know, who's doing what to who. It was about life. It was about, you know, literally the meaning of life. It was about, you know, what is it that makes you tick and and, and who I want to be and, and, and hopes and dreams. And, and that was attractive to me. That was something that was able to stimulate not just my mind, but I was at a place where I was, you know, open, more open to being stimulated uh, 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 in my heart. And so that spoke to me. And, and I was asked a couple of times, you know, about interest in, in going into the circle and, and, and never really felt that that was my time. And in 2004, I was like, mm, okay, I'll give it a try, you know, it, it's not like I have to continue going if I don't like it, go up in there, see what's happening. If, if it's not for me, it's not for me. And, and in my very first circle, it was, it was, it was, it was life altering. 
you know, and, and that first, you know, three, four hour uh, circle, it was life altering because I was exposed to a space where individuals that I knew from different arenas, let me, let me backtrack, individuals that I was familiar with in other arenas. I thought I knew them. I was mm. familiar with them and sitting in that space, I got the opportunity to know them and to see them. And, and I was like, you know, I'm home. This is where I'm supposed to be. This feels right. Mm. Wow. And so was it, was it all brand new to you though? Like was the, the, the conversation, the depth of it, talking about your feelings, was, was that stuff brand, did that feel brand new to you? Did it feel like learning how to do something new? It was definitely something that was brand new to me. I was sitting in the room with a bunch of killers and, 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 and crying, snot running down my nose and snot running down other people's nose and, and, and seeing, you know, grown men, hardened, you know, again, I'm speaking from my perspective, from my mind, hardened criminals who had been locked up 10, 20, 30, 40 years, expressing and showing generosity of heart and tenderness of soul as they held other human beings in their pain and allowed other human beings to feel and experience their pain and find a way to tap into some sort of medicine, some sort of healing, if just for that moment, for that pain. Yeah. You damn right that was something that was brand new for me. Right. And, and did you, um, did it take you time to open up about your own pain? <laughs> No, not, no, it did not take me time. You know, fortunately, like I said, you know, a lot of the men that were in there were, were folks that I knew or, or, or were very familiar with from, from, from other activities and I respected them and I respected who they were and I respected what they were doing with their life. And it just felt in me stepping into that space, it felt safe. That's beautiful. It felt safe. It felt like home and, 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 and my heart, you know, cracked wide open because it was time. I needed a safe space. I needed a safe container. And, and that was the space. That was the container that was home for me. Mm -hmm. And did you, um, oh gosh, I'm thinking of, of so many questions, but can you describe, so how many days a week was the circle happening and would it be different? Would you have, when you left the circle, would you have to harden for the rest of the day? Like, did you have to have a different, um, a different sort of shell or a put a shell around you the moment you would leave the safety of the circle? Mm -hmm. Circle was five days a week. Wow. I was I was going to sir and it was running. I was going on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesday evenings, Saturdays, Sundays. I was on visits, but Circle was up and running uh, every day except on Sea Yard. Every day except Thursday and Friday, and some of those days it was running multiple times a day. Saturday there was two groups. Uh, wow, and and this is year round. And uh, 
you, you, you ask about putting a shell on to go back out onto the yard. We refer to that as our armor, you know, coming into the chapel, you drop your armor, you leave it at the door, and then you pick it back up when you go back out onto the yard, because the reality is you're going back into an environment where folks out there are not living by the laws and the guidelines of what's going on inside of here. So yes, there there is a an element of picking that armor back up and putting it back on. And there, for me, was an element of integrating what was happening in the circle, what was happening on that side of the door into my life out on the yard while wearing that armor. Right. Because like, like the stats say, you know, the violence goes down by mm-hmm. people in that sit in circle by a large, large percentage, the, the violations go down, the aggression goes down. So, so clearly it's integrating, right. Um, and you're still able to operate in the mindset of self-protection when, when you need to, which is frequently. Yeah. There's in, an, in, there's an element of, of, of being aware of your surroundings and what's going on, you know, the, the proverbial having your head on a swivel and, and, and being willing and knowing how to protect yourself. And there is also an element of do no violence. Right. So, so what is it that ended up getting you freedom and released? Hmm. How did that go? What wound up getting me freedom and release? First of all, is I was free and released long before physically they ever, you know, signed off on it. When I started sitting in circle and started doing my own work and and looking at myself and going into, you know, who I was and figuring out and finding out who I was and beginning to heal as a person and learning how to forgive myself and love myself, I was free. I was free. I was, I was, I was, I was emancipated, you know, from my mental and emotional shackles and and I often said, and, and still say today, had I died in prison, I would have died a happy man because I knew who the hell I was. And I was happy with who was looking back at me in the mirror. Wow. What led to my physical freedom from incarceration was being able to go into a parole hearing with the board of parole uh, uh, commissioners and, and speak to, you know, as we spoke about earlier, my causative factors and my triggers, what led up to you know, me normalizing and rationalizing the acts that I was committing in the community, as well as in prison, that go against the norms that they refer to as antisocial. And, and explaining to them uh, that I understood that, you know, in a very uh, coherent way, and expressing what, you know, my plan was to not relapse back into that same mode of thought, those same, you know, ways of being in action, and uh, uh, demonstrating that over a course of time while incarcerated and then being able to express that, I was eventually uh, uh, granted parole. And the way you get to that hearing is not easy, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, the way you get to that hearing is not easy. You, 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 the only way to get there is time. The only way to get there is, you know, over the course of time and 
having one of those hearings is not a guarantee that you will be released if you have what's called a a, a life sentence with the possibility of parole with a, 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 in california if you have a life sentence and it has the possibility of parole then you have to do a determinate number of years before you can even start going into the room and having those sorts of discussions and then going in that room and having those sorts of discussions sitting before those panels again it's not a guarantee that you will be released i i went to board three times before i came home oh wow so you I was, were given... i was paroled on my third hearing oh wow so you were given the possibility of parole in your sentencing i was and... given the possibility of parole yes ma'am and when you um and one of the things to get to that hearing is like I'm assuming, I actually don't know this, but like good behavior. Well, you, you, you don't have to, you don't have to engage in good behavior to get to that hearing again. You just have to do a certain number of years. So if you have, okay. to, if you, you have to do say seven years, uh, 10 years, 15 years, 25, 35 years before that hearing, it doesn't matter what you do because okay. that day is going to come. And then when you get to that hearing, you're going to sit down and y'all going to talk about that. Uh -huh. You're going to talk, <laughs> talk about that non-good behavior. And they have what are called uh, uh, denials. And the denials, when I first went in, the denials were anywhere from one to five years. You could get denied one year, two year, three year, four year, five years. Then it was changed, I want to say in 96, there was a, 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 a Marcy's Law came about and a part of Marcy's law changed the uh, denial matrix. So the one year turned into three years, the two year turned into five years, the three years turned into seven years, the four years turned into 10 years, the five years turned into 15. So the minimum okay, you so could be Okay, so this is not a good, so this is not a good law. We're not happy with the Marcy's law. <laughs> We're okay. not happy with Marcy's law because you could, you could do 30 years and then go to board and get denied and theoretically they could tell you come back and see us in 15 years oh my god so when you were denied twice mm -hmm. how did that feel for you to find out well the first time it was expected because when i went in life meant that even though you had the possibility of parole nobody with a life sentence was going home unless you were a former cop you know, they had a few, a handful of, uh, you know, CHP officers that, you know, had some drunk driving convictions or whatever they had throughout the state. And, and you heard about them getting parole and going home, but nobody who looked like me and had done the things that I had done was going home. And, and, and so, you know, it was just a formality, you know, pro forma going up in there. So the first time I went, it was expected. They're going to say no. The second time I went in, uh, I had hope because I was in circle at this mm. time. I was beginning to evolve as a person and I had love in my life. So I had something and someone to think about going home to other than, you know, living, you know, a life in prison. So that was a bit of a heartbreak when, 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 when I was denied that time. And I, you know, again, inside of myself, I was living a different way. I saw myself a different way. I saw the world a different way. So I felt like, you know, I'm a new person. They should see this. I should be going home. And and then the third time I went, you know, I, I was ultimately granted parole and I wasn't expecting it. So it was a shock. I, I was hopeful, 
but there was no expectation. And, and how did that feel when you found out? Besides shocking, overjoyed. Uh, you know, I can remember breaking down into a, a, a ball of tears at at shock and amazement at hearing the words. You know, uh, uh, this hearing is being adjourned. Yada yada yada. Uh, we're back on the record. And in the case of Elder Jackson III, well, today we find you suitable for parole. And then they keep going, reading and reading. I was like. <laughs> I didn't hear a whole bunch of stuff after they said that because it was it I was trying to register, you know, found you suitable for parole and everything that that meant, the magnitude of what that meant. The the you know, again, another life altering uh milepost in my life. It was it was overwhelming. Right. And and so how I think there's another misunderstanding about how hard life can be when you do get out. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's true for you, but what was the adjustment like? What kind of obstacles did you run into when you got out? If any, I mean, what has it, what was the adjustment like for you? The adjustment here now, seven years later is still going on. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I was incarcerated uh, you know, we speak about 24 years in prison. I did time in the California Youth Authority prior to going to prison. So I've done more of my life incarcerated than I have done as a free member of society. So there's still an adjustment for me that is going on today with uh, the, the biggest piece for me is is the difference in in, in, in how people communicate. The difference mm-hmm. for me is 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 in communication because inside everything is very black and white. Everything is you know cut and dry. It is what it is. You know what people say it is. For the most part, that's usually what it is. You know, I give you my word. That's all I got. If I go back on that, or if I can't stick to that, then my word ain't shit, and everybody knows my word ain't shit. So that's the category that I'm in, and that's the way that people deal with me as somebody mm-hmm. whose word ain't shit. And, and, and that's not the way that the world functions out here. That's not the way that society functions out here. There's a level of, you know, and as backwards as it may be, there's a certain level of decorum and respect in the uncivilized and savage world of prison. Because if I don't, you know, exhibit and, and, and show respect for others and, 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 and demand it for myself, somebody could get hurt real bad. And so there are certain, you know, ways that you treat people and certain ways that you approach situations and certain ways that you communicate with folks. And there are certain things that you just don't do because it's very dangerous. And that's not the way people, you know, function out here. You know, people will say anything and do anything to anybody at any time with no thought, no consideration mm-hmm. for another human being. Uh, you know, and, and on the inside, we weren't necessarily being considerate of someone's feelings. We were being considerate of the consequences right. of a personal affront. Right Out here, you know, I would think that it would be more about being considerate of another human being's feelings, being considerate of another human being's uh, uh, emotions and state of mind. But there's there's not a lot of that out here, in my opinion. Yeah. So really, <laughs> so really, what you're saying, Ultra, is that we are not as civilized as we think we are. 
a whole lot of folks out in society would get the shit stabbed out of them if they were in prison mm. and acted the way that they act out mm. here in there. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. I would not think about that, but we, we, we have these, um, the, 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 the consequences obviously aren't as high. Sometimes they are. Sometimes the consequences are as high out here, right? Mm -hmm. Like just a lot less frequently. Mm -hmm. And so we, we act in this very sort of cavalier way about, mm -hmm. about things. And, and, and it's interesting to see that it's not really our, um, our compassion that's leading us, right? It's this, mm -hmm. this survival mechanism, Wow. The consequences may not seem as high and, and, and it's, you know, it's ass backwards. I don't expect anybody, you know, to get stabbed or brutalized or clubbed across the head for, 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 you know, disrespecting somebody or, or hurting somebody's feelings out here, but the consequences are dire. They are high because yeah. again, at inside circle, we say that hurt people hurt people. And if I'm moving about through the world, very cavalier about my actions, very cavalier about my words and how I treat other folks and not, you know, concerned about the impact that I have on other people. And I'm just careening through life like a pinball, hurting mm -hmm. people, hurting their psyches, hurting their emotional states, bruising, you know, the very fabric of who another human being is, then what I'm doing is in effect is I am creating more hurt in the world. I am affecting people in a way that we have now more hurt people who are now moving around and about in the world, hurting other people. Yes, 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 yes. All the way, mm -hmm. all the way. And I, it I, might not be blood, guts, gore, and violence. It might not be that level of hurt, but that level of hurt is, is, is really kind of easy to deal with. That level it's of very hurt clear. is easy to heal, you know, mm. put a bandaid on it, sew it up, stitch it up, you know, amputate it, cauterize it and, 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 and rehab and you're good to go hurt in the psyche, hurt in the soul, hurt in the heart. People carry that shit forever. Right. If they don't get an opportunity to heal that. Right. And the healing hurts too. And mm -hmm. I think, and you say this, your podcast that I love so much, you have this song that really makes me tear up at the beginning. And it says, um, I keep reminding myself that I've got the key and I'm the only one who can set me free. And then later it says, and it's gonna hurt, but that's the work. Mm -hmm. And so the healing hurts. Mm -hmm with a different, you know, there's a, there's a different driving force because it doesn't hurt forever. Mm -hmm. It hurts. And then there's, there's freedom, mm -hmm. real true inner freedom on the other side, right? Yeah. Like what you talked about and love and it's worth it. Mm -hmm. It's so worth it. But I think, um, people don't understand that the work hurts, right. And the bravery and courage and heart that has to go into that is, is just incredible. And one of the reasons I'm so sort of starstruck by you and so excited to talk to you is that you are the amount of heart and, and, um, the amount of heart and spirit that had to go into your journey and, and many people like you that sat in circle and, and had the outcomes or haven't had the outcomes you have, but had the inner freedom outcome. Mm -hmm. They did work that hurts. 
bad. And so I think it's important to just talk about that. That is part of the process, you know, it's definitely part of the process and, and a good way for your listeners, you know, cause you may have some people who are very unfamiliar when we're talking about, you know, the work and the process and it hurting and, and, and the pain hurts and the healing hurts as well. Think about going to the dentist because you have a toothache. And every time you get some ice, you know, on this side of your mouth or some cold or, or you get some sugar down in there, there's a, this deep searing, stinging pain. And you go to the dentist and he tells you, you know, you've got a cavity, you need a filling or a root canal or whatever. We got to extract it, whatever they say the treatment plan is. It's going to hurt. They're going to hit you with the needles you know, to numb your gums, they're going to get in there, they're going to do what they got to do. If they're doing a root canal, they're pulling the nerves up out your brain and, and all of that good stuff. And, and when that Novocaine or that gas wears off from that procedure, when you're home and they've given you your ibuprofen or whatever, it hurts. There's some pain there. And as that pain begins to subside, you feel better. Mm-hmm. When you get to the other side of that healing pain, you feel better. Your life is altered. You're a different person. You can Free. experience things now that you couldn't experience before the dentist went in there and did what he did. Now ice cream is not your enemy. Ice cream is your friend. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And... What's so beautiful about the circle is that what you were saying before you are held through mm -hmm. that pain, mm -hmm. you are held in your pain. You are not alone mm -hmm. in that. And you are held um, in a very intentional way by someone who really knows how to, how to hold you and hold that space for you. You're held by somebody who knows pain. Who knows pain. You're held somebody who has been held in their pain. You're being held by someone who has experienced the pain of not just their pain, but the pain of doing the work and getting to the other side to the healing. Mm. So you're being held by someone who has been where you are and is still going through it themselves. So they understand, they get you. That's it's beautiful. not somebody that's coming in, you know, and, and has gone to school and read some books and is telling you this is what you should do and this is what your life should look like. And this is it, what we do. Circle is experiential. Mm -hmm. And the only way to experience it is to get down in the dirt, in the mud, in the grime and, and, and experience it. Yeah. And there are circles on the outside. So you can find them. I'm in one myself. Um, and so with that, I think that Inside Circle needs to be in every prison across America as soon as possible. I see this as the way forward personally. What do you see, Eldra, as the way forward here? Where is the change? What? How do we start to to reverse mass incarceration and, and, and create low anti uh, and, and do anti-recidivism work. I think that what we do to, to reduce uh, incarceration in terms of this work, in terms of these healing spaces is to get more of them up and running in our communities, to get more of them up and running in our schools, to get more of them up and running, you know, uh, personally in our own households. 
mm-hmm. and 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 start to look at this as preventive medicine not mm-hmm. a cure after an illness has occurred but a preventive medicine we need to start looking at this on the front end as opposed to the back end when somebody's doing life mm-hmm. we need to start having little johnny and little susie sitting in circles when they're five years old right and learning emotional awareness and mm-hmm. and learning you know what my impact is and and beginning to hold them not teach them not instruct them in who they should be or how they should be, but hold them so that they can begin to critically think and look at who they want to be and learn about what impact is on other folks and learn that having emotions is just fine and giving them the space to, to, to feel that. That's beautiful. My dog is here. Um, what, what I see, this is Nancy. What I see is, um, what you're saying, which is shifting resources to community-based prevention and treatment for substance abuse, right? So our resources are all going to the after, mm-hmm. right? And, and actually they're going to the aftercare, the cure that isn't even working. So they're not, our resources are so mishandled, but putting our resources toward community-based prevention. And then after people get out of prison, to me too, a way to, a way to move forward is to remove those, those obstacles that make it so hard to rebuild your life. Post. Remove the barriers, remove the barriers, because in, in a system of law, in, in, in our system, there are, are, are penalties, you know, for, for misdeeds and actions against society. And, and once an individual has, you know, uh, repaid the price of, of, of whatever that transgression calls for, we, we reintegrate them back into, into society and, and, and we welcome them, you know, with open arms, you know, as, yeah. as, as another, you know, as, as a full member of society. We don't continue to, or we shouldn't, in my opinion, continue to punish folks after the fact and for the rest of their lives. Right. Yep. Which which will just lead back to the behavior that that created. It could. It doesn't have to, but it, it could. It doesn't easily. have to, but you, you can see, one can see how it can easily lead to that. Because if I am not a part of the system, if I'm not a full member of the community, if I'm not a full member of society, then what value do I see in that society? What investment do I have? What's my buy-in? Right. To see that society process uh, a profit, to see that society grow. Why should I? I'm not a part of it. Right. Right. So what's the what is an action step that people can take today right now as we wrap up? What is what is the call to action? Is it mm. to donate to the inside circle or is there something else? The, the call to action, we are a nonprofit organization, you know, so uh, my responsibility is also to always we can donate. You can donate, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. at www.insidecircle.org. And, and we have a donate button, a donate page. And, uh, you know, but on, on, on a human level, I, I would say uh, the call to action is, is do your work. Mm-hmm. Find what works for you. Find a circle for yourself. Maybe the inside circle way is not the way. And so when I say find a circle for yourself, I'm using that as a generality. Find the healing cell that works for you. Find a community that can support you and that you feel comfortable supporting 
and be there for them and allow them to be there for you. Tell somebody you love them. That's the call to action. Beautiful, Eldra. And if you need um, resources, different community ideas or anything, you can reach out to me through my website. I have tons of uh, those resources. And Eldra, where can people find you? They can find me, uh, of course, you know, through Inside Circle. Uh, we are on the web at InsideCircle.org, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and whatever else that stuff is that they have out there floating around. And, you know, I'm not up on all of it, but I know we're there and I can be found there. And your podcast, which yes. you've got called the Inside Circle Podcast. Is there anything else you want to say before we close? Uh, the only other thing that I would say before we close is uh, I'd like to send out an invitation for everyone, you know, who may hear this and share this with someone to know your value, mm-hmm. believe in yourself. Don't let other people determine and dictate your value and what you are worth. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Eldra. That conversation was just like mind blowing and beautiful and makes me want to cry a hundred tears. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for listening in to Healing Out Loud. Be sure to stay in touch through Instagram at Jackie or my website at JackieShay.com. I will link to all of Eldra's places too and all of the Inside Circle. Um, I hope you are able to implement what you learned this week and all the brilliance in this episode. And I'll be back soon with more fun and love with my dog, Nancy. Okay, bye.